Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, broadcasting live every Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central, from Panama City Beach, Florida, home of the world's most beautiful beaches. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining me on my weekly broadcast. Every week, I'll feature some of the best instructors, coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs in the golf business today. I begin with a great discussion on Coach's Corner, followed by an insightful interview with my special guest. So let's get started by introducing tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you tonight, uh, this Thursday, October 15th. It's hard to believe it just seems like October rolled around here not too long ago, and we're already pretty much at the middle of the month. So uh, I don't know where the time's going, but it's certainly going by pretty quick. Um, again, thanks, everybody, for joining me. We've got a great show for you tonight. We're going to be starting off here in just a moment or two uh, with a great discussion on the Coach's Corner panel. And I've got three uh, absolutely phenomenal uh, golf uh, coaches and teachers uh, here on the panel tonight, and I'll introduce those guys in just a moment. And then a little bit later on the show, I've got a really interesting guest. Uh, his name is Nicholas Houle. And he is the founder of the Hulist uh, Performance Technologies. And uh, I'm not going to spill the beans, as I say, quite yet. But what he's uh, really uh, sort of discovered here and, and is in sort of the testing mode right now, I think it's going to be very, very interesting, um, not just for the golf industry, but for uh, ath- athletes, if you will, or, or the athletic industry uh, in general. Um, so I think you really want to stick around and listen to, uh, to what he's going to talk about here tonight on the show uh, after the panel discussion. Um, just a reminder, of course, Golf Talk Live is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network and, of course, Golf Tips Magazine. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing top-quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And, of course, Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, offering insightful reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top PGA and LPGA teach professionals, all designed to help improve your game from tee to green. So subscribe today at golftipsmag.com. And just to let the folks know um, something I, I wanted to wait until it was 100% official, uh, effective immediately, uh, you can also get a digital-only version of Golf Tips Magazine. For those of you that prefer a digital version, uh, in the past you had to actually uh, purchase both the print and digital version together. You couldn't get them separately. So you can get either just the print, you can get the print and digital, uh, or you can get just strictly a digital copy. Uh, and the best way to do that is go to, again, to golftipsmag.com. And actually, if you go under the subscribe button on the print edition, uh, you'll see that is now an option uh, to get the digital-only version there. So uh, check it out, and I hope you'll subscribe. It's a great magazine, lots of great articles, and, of course, uh, always uh, some great tips from our top 25 instructors. All right, I'm going to introduce tonight's panel and uh, bring everybody out, and then we'll begin tonight's discussion. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, I've got three great guys uh, on the show tonight. First up is John Decker. He's a PJ instructor and motivational speaker. Uh, he's also a senior editor and top 25 instructor with Golf Tips magazine. Uh, in 2015, uh, he was the Southern Ohio Teacher of the Year, and uh, he was the prior head instructor at the Grand Cypress uh, Academy of Golf, where he worked under top 100 instructors Fred Griffin and Phil Rogers. Uh, he is the author of Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, which, of course, includes a company Bible study. Uh, also on the panel is Peter Agazarian. He is the owner and director of performance for Northeast Performance Institute, 
also the owner and president of Northeast uh, uh, Golf Performance. And in 2017, he was the uh, Northeast New York uh, PGA Player Development Award recipient, and he's also a TrackMan Master and a proponent, proponent excuse me, group member. Uh, rounding up the panel, of course, is Alex Fisher. He is a PGA Director of Instruction at the Glacier Club in Colorado. Uh, you'll find him there in the spring and summer months. And uh, he's originally from Nottingham, England. And uh, back in 1999, he moved to Naples, Florida uh, to pursue a, a career in the golf industry. Uh, he and his wife now uh, later moved to Arizona. And he, uh, for a while, was the instructor of, at the Phoenix Country Club, also at TPC Scottsdale, and Director of Instruction at TPC Las Vegas. Uh, but currently you'll find him at, as the Director of Instruction at the JW Camelback Golf Club in Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, Arizona Excuse me, during the winter months. And he's now also a Golf Tips Magazine Top 25 instructor. So guys, uh, welcome to the Coach's Corner panel. Thank you. Thank you, Ted. Thanks, Ted. Uh, all right, appreciate it, guys, as always, uh, giving of your time, and uh, I hope we have a, a, an interesting discussion tonight, and, and really, uh, it, it's, for the most part, it's really going to be about you guys, uh, particularly, and, and obviously a little bit uh, um, from your perspective uh, towards your students, but uh, primarily it's going to be about you guys, and I'm going to pitch it in the order that I introduced you, of course, and uh, I think we'll, we'll start, of course, with John. So... Um, what I want you to do is I want you to think of two things, John, uh, and I'm going to pose this to each of you, of course, that made you the teaching professional that you are today. So I want you to think of two things that stand out to you, uh, and you can include uh, an individual as, as certainly at least for one of them. Uh, if somebody was instrumental in making you who you are today, uh, by all means, you're welcome to do that. But I want you to think of two things that made you the teaching professional you are today. Well, first of all, uh, Ted, thank you for having me on the show. And Peter and Alex, I look forward, as always, to being on with you. Um, well, if I'm going to uh, – you know, this is a great question, Ted. I, I would have to start, first of all, with my parents and, and the upbringing I had. Um, you know, my parents taught me um, how to help other people, um, you know, being a good citizen, doing the right things, hard work. Um, and, and being a teacher, you ultimately have to care more about your students' game than your own game. Because uh, if you're worrying about your game, you're not going to be a very effective teacher. So when the point came when I knew that my playing career was over and I was going to be a teacher, I think so, a lot of the lessons that I learned from my parents, I would have to uh, include them. If I didn't, I, um, I would feel terrible not to mention them. Um, and then my really I'm going to throw two people in that I've started with at Grand Cypress, and that's Fred Griffin and my mentor Phil Rogers, uh, two men that – our top 100 teachers, of course, Phil died a couple of years ago, um, but mm -hmm. two just great teaching um, instructors who who taught me the technical aspects. Uh, you know, I knew how to play. I thought I did at least, um, but they taught me so much more about the game and, and really learning how to find the root problem in every golf swing. Um, and, and every golf swing, um, there's a, finding that root problem. I, you know, think back to my early days when I first started teaching, and I would look at a golf swing and I would see a bad shot and I would start wanting to work on maybe their club path or, or whatever. But, but ultimately it came down to finding the root problem in their setup. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of times as, as uh, students out there, students don't want to work on their setup. They think that they need to work on their golf swing. And, and really, if you can find the problem in the setup, then everything else kind of falls into place. So if I had to, to put those two, you know, looking at my parents, 
the influence I had with them and then, you know, Phil Rogers and, and Fred Griffin, I would say that, that that was what inspired me to be a teacher um, because I never, never grew up wanting to be a teacher. I never thought of, of being a, a golf instructor. And then when I spent time with them and really saw how they did it and, and the professionalism that, that those gentlemen had um, and still have with Fred, um, you know, it's, it's just been a great experience. And I couldn't have asked to have a better upbringing from my parents and from Phil and Fred. Um, very interesting. Well, well put and, and well said. Um, Peter, what about yourself? Um, what are two things that, that you think are, were instrumental in making you the teaching professional uh, that you are today? Well, I would say first my my experiences um, as a youth athlete um, and as an athlete in general, and the coaches I had as a youth athlete. I was, I mean, absolutely blessed to have the coaches that I had. Um, not only head coaches, but assistant coaches, um, actually in the National Hall of Fame for their respective uh, sports. Um, so absolutely shaped my my approach towards developing golfing athletes. You know, there's especially on the youth end and then, you know, even even senior golfers that are active or have been athletic, it helps me appreciate the, the mindset of an athlete, the strengths, the assets that an athlete or someone who has been athletic has. Um and then the other the other piece is you know, the the many, many people I've been fortunate to be around as a professional um, and that, and outside of golf as well that I've learned exceptional lessons from on many things from technique to uh, motor learning to just having a overall sense of empathy for the person that's in front of you. You know, that's – and the person that's with you right then is the most important thing at right then. And you're, I'm there to listen, to help guide, um, and just to, you know, simply answer questions. I mean, that's, I don't really, I can't really pinpoint just one person out of the many that have helped me. Well, I think it's, uh, that's a, again, another great answer. Um, you know, I think it's it's always important to, um, you know, to, to recognize that, you know, even though we are on the teaching side of things, it's amazing what we learn from some other other people, whether it be growing up, um, you know, and, and just in our own uh, development as an athlete or and just as a human being, how those influences can affect and ultimately benefit not only us as, as human beings, but also the people that we interact with uh, in our teaching uh, profession. So uh, very good. Uh, Alex, what about you? Uh, I know you've got a couple things. I'm sure that uh, when you look back and you, you uh, see that it's made you who you are today as a teacher professional. No, uh, thanks, Ted. Um, I think growing up in England, we um, back, back in the 80s, golf was not um, a really big sport at the time. And so for, for me to start playing golf, uh, a lot of the credit goes to my parents for just encouraging me in the first place. And uh, the golf course that I first started playing at is called uh, Ruddington Grange 
and that's in Nottingham. And the, the head professional there at the time, Robert Ellis, was a big influence and mentor on me. Uh, just because I took a lot of lessons as a kid and uh, just watching him in the background and, and seeing not only the fun that he was having teaching, but also you know, seeing him help other people, that was a, a, a big influence. And as I went through middle school and high school and I would have career meetings with different teachers and, and they'd always talk about what do you want to do when you're, when you're older, uh, I always said that I wanted to be a golf professional. And of course you would get the sniggers and the, 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 the laughing and things like that. But, <laughs> Um, at the same time, um, I was always told that I wasn't able to, to do that. And it was kind of a pipe dream and really what should you do? And so I, after 15 minutes of arguing and being a stubborn kid, I finally said I was going to restore classic cars and, and do those things there. Um, but it wasn't until I ended up in Naples, Florida, uh, and working at a golf course when I was interning, um, the head professional there at the time was uh, Chris Pace, and I've kept in close contact with Chris over the years. My first day, Chris said to me, okay, so what do you want to get out of this internship for six months? And I said, well, without being um, kind of a, a suck-up, I, I kind of want to do what you do. And he says, well, let's make that happen. So it was the first time you're know, moving to the U.S. and actually having somebody say that you can do it. And so that was that was a defining moment for me because I actually had somebody accepting that I could get into the golf industry and there was a path on how to do that. Um, I think as I fast forward and as I've crafted my teaching skills, I've had a number of mentors that have helped me over the years. And I think the golf industry is a very unique industry where we are out to help each other. Whereas if you look at the the car industry and things like that, um, I can't imagine that you'd have one manufacturer helping another manufacturer, but we're we're always open as as PGA professionals to help each other. And so, over the years, I've had uh, probably my biggest biggest mentor is John Hughes, that I'm sure you're obviously aware of. Mm-hmm. He's been part of your shows in the past, but um, not only his integrity, but also his business acumen. Um, he's he's been a mentor and always will be a mentor for me. Uh, and then more recently, um, uh, a person who now is in the Miami area, his name is John Stolschmidt, and we were the direct, he was the director of instruction for one of the TPC properties I was at. And same thing, you know, it wasn't just about teaching. It was about how to be a good teacher personally, professionally, and, and has a, had a big influence on me. So I feel fortunate. I don't have all the answers, but um, I look forward to – to continue in those relationships with those two gentlemen and then continue to, to get better. Wow. Another great, great answer. Um, what a fantastic job you guys did on, on, um, you know, really bringing out, I think what it means to, um, not only be uh, a great teaching professional, but a great human being recognizing all of those that have, help pave the way to your careers. And if it wasn't for, I need you guys to stick around for a little bit longer, I'd say we could just end the coach's corner segment with those three answers right there. (laughs) And, uh, and I could move on, but uh, unfortunately I need you guys for a little bit longer, but great answers guys. I I really like that. Um, All right, John, I'm going to pop back up to you here and we're going to go through the the cycle again. And, and um, this one's a a little bit different take. Um, You know, we're, we're still, you know, we're not, none of us are retired yet. We're still plugging along and, and doing our thing and obviously uh, moving into, uh, you know, in some cases, some uncharted uh, areas. So 
Now I'd like you to think of two things, and if you can't think of two, that's fine. You're welcome to just stick with one. But generally, I'd like you to find two things that you would still like to accomplish as a teaching professional. I think the one thing that I want to accomplish the most um, is um, I've had some meetings with uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I want to develop a program that because you know my passions, Ted, you know that I love teaching, yep. but I love the Lord. And I want to, uh, I want to get out and go to a, go to a community, come to a community and, and have a golf clinic. I want to start a Bible study and I want to do public speaking and, and, and try to bring in uh, other great teachers who have the same passions that I do who want to grow the game of golf, but also want to lead people in a Christian walk. That is what I think I've been called to do in my life, and that's what I want to do with my life. And, and I will pursue that until, until the day I die. So that's, that's pretty much, you know, I don't really have anything else. Yeah. You know, from, from no. a career standpoint, obviously I want to write great articles for the magazine, and I want to do great lessons, and I would love to have tour players. But I've been on the PGA Tour, and I've, I've done all that, and those things are – are not that's there's more to life than that and I, I i just feel like that we all have a a, a purpose and and a calling in our life and I, I feel like that's the calling that i have well said i i like that that's a great answer again um peter what about yourself uh can you think of a couple things that you'd still like to accomplish i'm sure there's probably many more but are there two particular that maybe stand out to you uh that you would like to accomplish uh as you continue on in this great profession um, I'm a little more in line with, you know, just continuing to help people. I, I mean, I, I'm right now kind of living out the, the vision I've had for my career for a long time, you know, since I really discovered a, a passion for, for coaching and helping people, you know, what I'm living out right now is really what I saw as a purpose um, and how to reach as many people as possible. I think mean, the the pretty boring answer is to keep doing what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. I think it's great. You know, the the real key, and I'll get to you in a second, Alex. You know, the the real thing I, I think is what, what I'm hearing, you know, here, um, not just from you guys, but from, from many others that have, been on the show is teaching the game is only really one aspect of what we do it's the relationships that are developed and it's ultimately helping other people golf is just a vessel that we all have chosen to use golf is a game that we're all passionate about we enjoy uh the challenges the the ups and the downs the pitfalls it's it's exciting to us but ultimately to become a teach professional, whether it's PJ, LPJ, or, or some other form, it is really about interpersonal uh, development and 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 inner you know connections with with other folks, and you know that's what we enjoy doing. It's it's giving what we've learned along our journey, and obviously you know pertaining to golf, and we want to share that and help somebody else have a similar experience. And, and that's really what it's all about. So that's a great answer, uh, albeit, it, you know, I don't consider it short. 
I consider it right to the point, um, Peter, and, and well said. I think that you, you know, when you find your passion in life, um, whatever that may be, I think you have to uh, follow that passion. And because I think if you don't, then you cheat yourself. And um, I, I'm glad to hear um, that sort of resounding uh, yeah, commonality with I, everybody. Can I is expand about... on that? <clears throat> can I expand yeah, on that last sure point you just made? You I mean, sure, it, yeah, it would have been sure very. E- it would have been very. <clears throat> excuse me. It would have been very easy for me to stay where I was, to stay living where we were, and it would have been very comfortable. It would have been really great. But when you have an opportunity come across your plate like like I've had afforded to me, and you don't take advantage of it, this this is the one that you're going to look back when you're 85 and regret it, that you didn't take the mm-hmm. chance. That's the piece that I can't stress enough to people. If you look at, and some of you don't know what we're doing, and it, it's pretty expansive in the state of Connecticut and New England, but you have to take a shot. It's not always going to work out well, but you have to you have to take a shot. You have to take a risk. It might make it a calculated risk, but take take a shot at it. You, the worst thing to possibly do is to not do something and regret it. I I couldn't agree more. Uh, and again, well well added point. Uh, I firmly believe that as well. I think opportunities come for a reason. Doors get opened for a reason. And um, you have to make a decision, and I agree. Uh, I would, I'm much like you, I would always hate to look back and say, I wish I had have taken that opportunity. Um, and sometimes I know I've probably taken more opportunities than I probably deserved or should have, but I don't regret any of them. Um, Alex, what about you? Two things that uh, you would still like to do uh, or feel that you need to accomplish as a teacher professional. What might a couple of those be? Sure, and I'm, I'm definitely going to piggyback on what Peter said. Um, I never envisioned 25 years ago that I would be living in the U.S. and doing what I'm doing now, and uh, I, I definitely am living out my dream, but I do kind of stick to a, a kind of a goofy saying of never settle, never compromise. And um, so for, for me, um, the cop-out answer would be to grow the game. Um, I've been fortunate enough to work with some higher profile players and things like that, but really just trying to, to grow the game uh, and make it simpler would be the second thing. I think it's, um, I think this game has, has become a little bit too complicated. Um, there's information is a good thing, but it's a powerful thing. And there's probably too much information out there that possibly contradicts um, itself, but being able to, to get, get people out playing golf more, um, not just through juniors, but through women's golf as well. Um, we do a lot of women's programs here, and if we can continue to, to grow that and, and get them out here, I think the numbers of participation will just uh, just keep going up. Uh, I, again, you guys are, uh, if we were hitting, if we were playing baseball, you have all hit it out of the park once again. Uh, you know, again, it, it just goes to show you that, you know, there are some really great people in this industry. And really what it, it, it personifies is it's not about us, it's about you, uh, the folks listening out there, the folks that we deal with every day. It's about how can we make your life better. Um, we just simply have found a tool or a vessel, as I mentioned earlier, that we 
enjoy doing um, that we want to share with you. And we know that once you learn and have a better understanding of how to play, that you're going to enjoy it just as much, if some cases maybe even more than us. Um, and sharing that knowledge and working with people and helping people um, is probably the most rewarding part, I think, of this job. Um, you know, we could all be out there, uh, you know, playing golf and, and doing what we want to do and do something different, but it's a whole heck of a lot more fun sharing what we've learned uh, through our careers and helping you to become better players. So that's, I think, um, first and foremost, uh, I've heard tonight is really reaching out and helping other people. Um, John, we're coming right back up to you again. And a little bit of a different twist. I want you to kind of look a little more inside yourselves. And I want you to think of two things that you've learned from yourself during your career. I think the one thing that I've learned is that I'm a very persistent person. Um, and that in some ways is good, in some ways can be bad. Um, I, I now look back when I was a junior golfer, I didn't have a driving range. I didn't have really a golf instructor. I learned by going out and playing on a public golf course, and I would go out there by myself, with, and I would hit five, four or five balls off the tee, and I would play all four or five balls until dark. And, and, to, and not until I got into my mid to late teens did I start getting any kind of organized instruction. And then when I got 25 and I moved down to uh, Orlando and I started working at the Grand Cypress Academy of Golf, and I realized that my golf swing was not what it needed to be. When I finally got technology where I could see my you know, video and all the bells and whistles, um, I revamped my entire golf swing and, um, and from 25 to 28 during those about three year period, I totally revamped my golf swing and then started playing on the mini tours and playing and just kept pursuing it and pushing and going as hard as I could and teaching on the side and, and then teaching full time and playing on the side. And then finally, you know, getting to the point when I realized that, you know, playing was not going to be my Avenue. I just think that the persistence that I have is um, is something that that I I I think is has benefited me uh, because when I, I and it really all came to fruition when I wrote my book because my book was seventy eight thousand words I never wanted to write a book in my life and when that is the most difficult thing I've ever done it took me four years to write and um, I there were nights when I literally was like why am I doing this and and I just didn't think it would it would come to come come through and I, and it did. And so I pushed through and that's something I'm proud of, but in some ways I can also see how being persistent can hurt you on the golf course because you try to force things to happen. And I try to relate that in some of my failures on the golf course to my students and, uh, and letting them know that, you know, when you're out there on the golf course, you know, if you can't make a birdie happen on the first tee, you can't make a Eagle happen they, they, you have to let them come to you. You have to just play one shot at a time and allow that to come to you. And when you get behind, you can't just make it up. Um, and, you know, or if you get ahead, you can't just run out the clock. You, know, you have to still play one shot at a time all the way till that last putt on the last hole. And so those are, those are the things, I think the thing that I've, I've learned most about myself. And, and there's really um, – Second, I can't think of something off the top of my head, but that persistence when you asked the question, that was what really popped into my head. That's okay. Um, you know, I know it's, uh, you know, one thing 
um, I give all of you guys credit real quick, and then Peter, I'm going to turn to you, um, and and they can all attest here is. I don't give anybody the answer or, or sorry, I don't give anybody the questions for the panel discussions up front, so it's not like everybody has a chance to rehearse it so um or get their thoughts together. This is, you know, live, real and and uh you're getting the questions um, you know, for the first time tonight. So I know it's not always easy sometimes to uh, you know, to always think of everything right off the bat. Um but you guys have always for all of these years we've been doing I've been doing the show this is my 8th season doing Golf Talk Live and 7th season for doing Coach's Corner. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, John, you've been here for several seasons as has Peter. And I know Alex, this is, uh, you're uh, newer to the panel this season, but, uh, you know, you guys have, have really been able to dig deep and come up with some great answers, uh, to these questions and very, you know, um, you know, put a lot of thought into it, uh, on such short notice. So I give you guys credit. Um, Peter, what about yourself? Um, what are some things as, as you look and reflect, up to this point in your teaching career, what have you learned, do you think, from yourself that, uh, again, maybe uh, your students could benefit from, uh, or just in general, what, what have you learned from yourself uh, as you've navigated through this career? Uh, I've learned far more from my mistakes than anything else. Um, I would say spend, you know, turning professional at 19 and starting to teach and being in your early to mid twenties and being exceptionally young and it, you're going to inherently make mistakes. And I learned an incredible amount from those mistakes. And fortunately they were nothing that was to do with anything other than, you know, professional boo-boos we'll call it. Um, you know, clearly <laughs> didn't break any laws, didn't, didn't do anything bad. Right. Um, but as a professional, I learned, you know, over time that there was very important, you know, ways to speak, um, just small things. Um, but when you're working at the, <clears throat> the private club level that I was um, at a very young age from 20, 23 to 26, and you don't really know exactly what you don't know yet um and it's okay to make mistakes you know you don't it's small mistakes are are learning points um i think later as i've gotten into my second decade in, in as a professional um i learned that i was i'm willing to work harder than anybody else to get where i want to go professionally and to help other people um you know some people think i'm a little crazy with how much I work, um, but I enjoy it. It's not work to me. Uh, I get to see my family, which is wonderful. It's the most important thing. Um, but I would say those are the two points, is small, non-illegal mistakes uh, to learn by and to, <laughs> to shape your future choices that you can make, and to be willing to work harder than anybody. Um, that's, and if people think you're crazy, maybe you just might be on to something. <laughs> I, I like the emphasis on the, the small, not illegal. <laughs> that's why I'm kind of laughing to myself, but you're exactly right. You know, Peter, we, we learn, you know, and as John touched on as well, you know, we learn from, uh, 
you know, not necessarily just the mistakes, but, you know, obviously everything doesn't always work out perfectly. Um, you know, when we're, uh, I like to call it the trial and error, you know, when you're in your teens and early twenties, it's kind of the trial and error period of your life. You're testing things out, you're, you know, dipping your, your, your toes uh, in the water to, to see if it's hot or cold or, um, or how deep it is. And, uh, you know, you're not always going to have, uh, certainly major successes, but the key thing is, is that you learn from those and you learn to adapt uh, and adjust um, in order to, uh, you know, keep on going. And I think that, you know, from what I'm hearing, and I certainly have, can attest, I've heard, you know, many nights that you guys have been on the panels, um, you know, we're, we're always growing. And, you know, as it was mentioned earlier, you know, we learn from one another. This is an industry, unlike really other industries, uh, Alex, I believe you mentioned this, where, you know, unlike some industries that uh, certainly we, we compete in, in a sense, uh, you know, we obviously have our own businesses, we're doing our own thing, but we're always willing to help our, our fellow professional. Uh, and that's uh, a rarity in, in business. Uh, usually it's a little more cutthroat than that. And uh, I think this is a business that that's, has, uh, has really stood up there and, and is willing to, to reach out and help uh, one another in, in many cases. And that's what we do here on the panel discussion and, and in a, the interviews uh, that come on uh, Golf Talk Live. Uh, Alex, what about yourself? Uh, as you reflect back uh, thus far in your career, uh, what are two things that you think that you've taken away um, from yourself? Sure. Um, I would say that just like Peter, um, I've made mistakes in the past that I've learned from. I think about the lessons that I gave almost 20 years ago. I think they were probably not the best uh, best showing that I ever did because I think you, as you get into teaching, you're, you're trying to teach the whole teaching manual in one hour and uh, it's easy, easily to, to kind of go a little bit overboard. Um, I personally had to change my verbiage. So I didn't sound like I was totally from England and uh, was using words that most people probably didn't understand. So that was, that was a little bit of a learning curve for me as I went along. But um, I think you know, as I, I did start teaching, I kind of had to realize that I couldn't just assume that that people knew what you were talking about or you just couldn't take it for granted that um, they were going to take everything in. So um, I've, I've learned over the years that less is more uh, when it comes to teaching. So mm-hmm. I think that's, uh, that's, that's definitely a, a thing that I've learned over the years. Um, and then really, for, for me, it's adapting to different situations quickly, being fast on your feet, being able to adapt to different learning styles. Um, I was at Pinehurst a couple of years ago for a U.S. Kids um, seminar, and we before we went out there, we were sent out a personality test before we uh, actually got, got on property, and it was really a, a set of 10 questions that I really didn't put a lot of effort in, admittedly, and as we all sat down to look at these different reports on our personality tests, I completely snooked everybody else because my my test was all over the place. But it actually turned out to be a good trait for instructors where they're able to adapt and adjust to, to different learning styles. Um, and then really just finally, I know this is more than two, but I'm going to ramble on anyway. Um, when I was playing, I mean, <laughs> dealing with dealing – with, uh, Dealing with pressure when I was playing was, uh, I think, as you're younger and your hormones are going and things like that, when you're when I was playing at a high level as a teenager, um, it was hard to adapt to. But as I've got older and I stress this to students now, that 
pressure is a good thing. It pressure shows you that you're you really care about the situation, and obviously you want to do well. So don't let pressure get to you. And if you can do something that makes you feel uncomfortable, that's a good thing. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and and you know, just very quickly uh, before we we move on, you know, I, I think as as we grow older um, in life, I think we you know, are able to reflect back. And, you know, when, when you're young, you know, you have obviously much more energy and much more enthusiasm for a lot of things. And, and, um, you know, you, you haven't really, you don't know what you don't know at that point. And as you develop your skills and, and make those adjustments and tweaks and and all these wonderful things, you begin to realize and you see a pattern that it's it's not so bad you know when you're when you're young and you you know your team loses or you lose a match or whatever the case is you know you're thumping your club in the in the dirt and you're you know kicking some turf up and whatnot you're you're upset you're angry and you're disappointed but it's only afterwards when you realize you know that you're learning um something in that moment and that it begins to say you know what hey that's okay it was just one bad shot I've got plenty more shots here that I can work on uh, in the rest of my round or whatever the case may be. So I think it's important um, distinction that, you know, that we, we all as professionals that we learn um, most importantly about ourselves and, and that we bring not just the good, but we bring the bad too. And that doesn't mean we teach the bad, but we use what we've learned from our mistakes because I guarantee it that most of the people that we're teaching have made similar or just as silly or foolish or however you want to phrase it mistakes as well in their own lives. And it just, it, one of the, the things I think, and Alex, you mentioned this about sometimes teaching can be very, very difficult. And sometimes we, we, we don't keep it simple. I think one of the things that can be very intimidating, particularly for, for newer students is they look at us as professionals and, oh, we don't make mistakes and everything's perfect. And I think once we sort of bring ourselves as to that human level that we make mistakes too and have, and now we're going to help you learn from some of our mistakes and help you work through some of yours, I think it brings us to a different level and people appreciate that much more. All right, the last question I've got for each of you, and again, we'll, we'll go back through the, um, the order here, John, is – when you're working with your students, um, I want you to think of two things that you want your students to take away from your teaching. The number one thing that I want them to understand is the, the root problem of what, what we're trying to get out of the lesson. Um, because, um, you know, I think, um, you know, Alex just mentioned that at times, as teachers, we can give too much, and I'm as guilty as anyone of that. Uh, where sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you've got someone who's who's doing pretty well in the lesson, you feel like, okay, I can push this this uh, student a little more because they're get, they're grasping what I'm trying to get them to do. And then the next thing you know, you're 30 or 40 minutes in the lesson, and oh my gosh, I've given them too much. So you know, you learn how much to give the student is is just experience more than anything. But, but having that student, when they leave the lesson, have an idea of the number one thing that you want them to work on. Because if you're not careful and you give them that number one thing in the first five or ten minutes, and then you work on the number two and the three and the number four, by the time you get to number ten, if you've given them way too much, 
they've forgotten the main thing that they really need to work on. So, so that is, that is um, the one thing that I, I want to make sure. And so what I've been doing with a lot of my lessons is at the end of the lesson is I'll have the student um, pull their phone out and I'll do a little recap uh, right there, or I'll email them a video recap of their lesson. And I'll say the number one thing that you need to work on is this. The second thing is I want every student who comes to take a lesson with me to leave with at least one drill because the drill is their medicine. That's their homework. I say you've got to practice this drill because this drill is going to help that problem that we've identified, you know, in the first part of the lesson. And then usually um, the, the students will find that, you know, we have to stay on that, the, those drills, and, and we, are, we sometimes have to revert and go back to the number one problem because, um, you know, most students don't, a lot of students don't practice between their lessons, unfortunately. And so, um, you know, when we go to the second and the third lesson, we're recapping a lot. So I try to give them, I, I try to really in, in, instill in them the importance, especially with the juniors. I tell the juniors, listen, your parents are spending a lot of money for you to come take lessons with me. You need to practice between the lessons. Otherwise, they're not go you're not going to, you're not going to um, benefit. Your parents are going to be wasting their money, and, and you're not going to be as good as, you know, I know you can be. So I think practicing the drills that I give them is the second thing that I really, I really try to emphasize. Great points, um, and well said, John. Thank you. Um, Peter, what about yourself? A uh, couple of things that you want your students to take away um, from their experience with you as a teacher professional? I'd like them to take away an understanding of why, Ted, why certain things are happening, why they hit, you know, what they do to hit good shots, why certain bad shots are happening, and the ability to regulate themselves on the golf course. Um, I think it's fascinating to ask the question, to a person who's, you know, any other golfer than a beginner golfer that already hits good shots. And 99% of people cannot answer why they hit good shots. I ask every first lesson I have. I ask them, you hit good shots, correct? Yeah, I hit sometimes. Do you know why they happen? Or what you do to produce that shot? No idea. That's 99% of people. I get maybe <clears throat> two or three people a year on varying sides of the scoring spectrum, usually a better player, that has their finger on it. Um, <clears throat> but a lot of times they can't. They don't have a feel to associate with it. They don't understand their own game. And, you know, if somebody's going to leave their time with me, I want them to have a deep understanding of their own game um, I'm a very, I'm an outlier where I have a hundreds of model swings from LPGA and PGA tour players on TrackMan, and I don't use a single one. I, mm -hmm. I don't compare my players <clears throat> that are any level of golfer to a professional golfer because we're not striving for that. We're not going towards right and wrong. We we're going towards a deep understanding of their own game so that they can play golf better. It's not, we're not there to learn how to play swing. We're there how to learn how to play golf. And if they can't right the ship when they're on the golf course for when it goes wrong, because it's not 
<clears throat> excuse me, it's not a point of if it goes wrong when you're on the golf course, it's when and for how long. Mm-hmm. And it's much more productive to help people get it back quicker, you know, where it can be a, sometimes one swing and you understand it and you say, okay, here's a baseline that I can go to that helps me have that be maybe the one bad shot instead of a three-hole stretch, 18 holes a week, a month, an entire season. A lot of times people, if they don't have an understanding of their own game and why certain things are happening, they can be floating in the current for a long time and have nowhere to swim towards. So if it's if that's the question leaves me, I want them to have some understanding of what they do well and on the other end of the spectrum as well to why certain things are happening when it's not going well. Well said, Peter. Um, you know, that that's extremely important. You know, a lot of times, you know, we all hit bad shots and it's it's not about as you said, it's not about perfecting the golf swing. Obviously, you have to have uh, an understanding of fundamentals and, and so forth. But, you know, it's really playing the game. It's learning how to play the game uh, of golf. And when you're out in the golf course, you know, you don't have, you know, the benefit of a perfect lie or, uh, or you know, uh, depending on where you've hit it, you know, there might be some obstacles in your way. It could be a tree branch. It could be a whole tree, um, what have you. So you've got to be prepared for that, and, and you've got to be prepared to adapt and adjust accordingly. And when you hit a bad shot, it's just one shot. Don't let it perpetuate and turn into two or three or four or, or several holes. Um, and teaching our players how to um, know how to deal with situations like that at a, at a quicker level, I think, is, is, makes it for a much more enjoyable game when they're able to think their way out as opposed to just trying to manipulate uh, what they're doing. Uh, they're actually able to think their way out of, of any situation they're given. Uh, well said. Um, Alex, uh, we're going to let you wrap it up here with, uh, with this question as well. Uh, a couple things you want your students to take away um, after they've been with you on, on the lesson tee. Sure. I think we're all on the same same page here that we want to better educate our students. Um, again, they, a lot of times they come for a lesson, think they're doing one thing, but clearly it ends up being something else. So um, being able to, to provide a, a clear, systematic approach of how to, to accelerate their learning and, and get better, um, I, I found that is key. I think if you can explain to them kind of the path that we, we need to take now, maybe next week and then down the future and how they're going to get better, um, I've I, I found that that just seems to work the, the best. Um, so laying out kind of like a, a roadmap of sorts of how they're going to improve, um, every student that I work with will, will leave with that. And then really, to be honest, just to make, make sure that when they do leave, not only do they understand what they're working on, but get them enthusiastic you know, get, get them excited about practicing and showing how these improvements are going to drop the scores. Um, typically taking somebody who's trying to break 100 to 90 can be done pretty quick. Getting somebody from the 90s to 80s can be done pretty quick. Um, but if you don't have a plan, then, uh, then those goals aren't really attainable. Yeah, and, and, and that's the key. And, you know, I, I think, you know, something else that I heard – uh, mention a, a few times throughout tonight's discussion, and, and that is, 
you know, keeping it simple, um, first and foremost, um, you know, it's, it's great. You know, we learn a lot of things as teacher professionals. We, we attend seminars, we've gone on courses and, and so on and so forth. And we get a lot of information, but that doesn't mean that we have to share every bit of that information with our students. That's there for, for really two reasons. It's to educate us so that we have a better understanding of what it is that, that we need to uh, do when we're working with our students. Uh, and it, it's also to, to make it so that we can educate our, our students, but in such a way that we don't overwhelm them. You know, to go to, John, what you had said earlier on, you know, too many times we see, and, and again, I think as you develop in your, uh, with your experience and as you, uh, as we all age a little bit, as I mentioned earlier, I think that, you know, wisdom comes with it. But I think too often we see a lot of professionals earlier on in their career try to sort of expel too much information. You know, they're excited about it, and I, and I get that. And I think what happens a lot of times is the student ends up going away with a sort of an overwhelmed um, feeling, if you will, and they're not able to grasp everything. There's too much information. There's information overload. I want, when, when I'm working with somebody, I want them to go away feeling that they want more, but at the same time, I want them to go away with an excitement and saying, you know, I'm really jazzed up about what we, what we learned today, what we talked about today, and I want them to be in, in such a way that they're enthusiastic to go out and work on some of the things, John, as you mentioned, and, and the others, uh, to work on some of those things that we talked about. Um, you know, the worst thing that you can do is it's like inviting somebody out for a meal and then you push them in front of a buffet and you say, have at it. Well, there's a lot of choices there. There's a lot of food there. And you don't want your students to, to, you know, gorge themselves, for lack of better words. You want them to, you know, have, have a good meal, so to speak, but not so full that they, they come away feeling to the point where they're sick. And I've seen that too many times. And that is, if you talk to a lot of students out there, that is a pet peeve of theirs is that they don't understand. They want it simpler. They just want to know how to do this or they want to know how to do that. They don't need all this other technical mumbo jumbo that's there for us to utilize and learn from so that we can be more effective teachers but that doesn't mean that we have to now turn and educate them uh with every nook and cranny that we've learned because otherwise um you know they're just again going to become overwhelmed and less apt to uh, be enthusiastic to come back and uh, and continue on their journey all right, guys, uh, I think uh, I hope you guys found this an interesting discussion tonight. I know it was, as I mentioned at the top, it was about you guys and really to take a sort of inner uh, uh, perspective look at, at yourselves and, and share what's, what's brought you to where you are now in your career. And uh, I know that you're going to continue to tweak and modify and adjust as you continue on uh, and, and develop more and take more risks and, 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 and reach out there to become even better professionals um, than what you are right now. So um, on that note, um, I'm going to go through reverse order this time. And Alex, I'm going to go to you and then Peter and then uh, John. Uh, as we wrap up, let the folks know the best way if they want to reach out to you um, and if there's anything, uh, final comment that you want to make. No, I, Ted, thanks again. I always really appreciate being part of the show. Um, this was awesome tonight. Um, Best way to get a hold of me, um, you can either go through my website, which is alexfisherpga.com, 
my email is alex at alexfisherpga.com. Uh, and then my direct line is 602-363-9800. That, uh, the temperatures are finally cooling down here in Scottsdale, so it's, it's definitely a great location to come out to. Uh, so I'd l- love to see you out here at Camelback at some point. Perfect. Well, thank you, uh, Alex, uh, and thank you for joining us on the panel tonight. Uh, Peter, how about yourself? Best way that the folks uh, can get in touch or reach out if they'd like to? Yeah, thanks, Ted, and thanks, guys, for sharing time with me today. It's always great to be on with other, you know, great great coaches, and uh, great to hear your thoughts. I always learn a lot. Um, people can reach me. Um, you can go right to the website first. It's uh, gonpi.org. Or that you can reach me at uh, peter at gonpi.org. Or uh, check me out on social. Uh, if you, I Google pretty well. My last name is not easy, but um, I'm sure if you copy and paste it from all of Ted's social posts, you can find it. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you. Um, John, what about yourself? Well, thanks again, Ted, for, for having us on the show tonight, Peter. As always, I enjoyed being on with you and Alex. It was a pleasure being on for the first time with you tonight. Um, I'm in the Columbus, Ohio area. Uh, if you're in the Columbus area, uh, feel free to reach out to me. I'm teaching, I teach at the Westerville Golf Center. I also do online instruction. You can reach me um, on social media uh, under John Decker Golf Instruction, and I spell my first name J-O-N, so John Decker Golf Instruction. I'm on Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, and YouTube. Um, and um, also, um, you know, as, as you know, writing for uh, Golf Tips Magazine, the, the article Fairways to Heaven, which uh, I'm really enjoying that, Ted. I appreciate the opportunity. And my book, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble websites, and also on walmart.com. Uh, and uh, if you're looking for uh, to start a Bible study or need public speaking, reach out to me as well. But, uh, again, thanks, Ted, and I uh, appreciate all that you do in giving us this platform and opportunity. Well, as always, it's my pleasure, and um, it's me that's actually grateful that you guys are giving up your time. I know it's not always easy when you've been teaching all day and or doing other things uh, and have family obligations as well uh, to be able to do that. So I appreciate it very much. So. Uh, Peter, John, and Alex, thank you very much for um, joining me tonight on Coach's Corner. I look forward to having you guys back real soon. Thanks, Ted. Thank, thank you. Uh, all, right. all right. That was my uh, very special guests, uh, John Decker, uh, Peter Agazarian, and Alex Fisher tonight on the Coach's Corner panel. And as I mentioned in a few moments, uh, I'm going to be joined by uh, Nick Houle, uh, who is the founder of Hulist Performance Technologies. And as I said, he's got something very interesting uh, that he's going to share with everyone tonight. I think you'll find uh, quite um, quite intriguing, to say the least. And uh, I hope you'll uh, I hope you'll enjoy uh, tonight's uh, uh, very special interview guest. I'll tell you a little bit about him uh, just as I wait, and just to give you kind of a heads up, and then uh, we'll we'll sort of stand by. Um, as I mentioned, my my special guest tonight is uh, Nicholas Hool, and uh, he is the founder of Hoolist Performance Technologies. Uh, he's 26, uh, and he grew up playing competitive golf with uh, dreams, as many have, of uh, playing uh, on the PGA Tour. Uh, but like many golfers and or athletes, uh, he struggled with uh, performance anxiety uh, in golf during high-pressure situations, and uh, his scores, uh, unfortunately, like many of us, often uh, reflected it. 
Uh, he tried uh, many methods uh, to treat uh, his performance anxiety. Uh, when he was 16, in fact, he uh, had even uh, was even prescribed anxiety medication. Uh, but after a few short weeks, he stopped taking it because of some of the ne- negative side effects. So uh, a little bit later on, as uh, he worked uh, with his experience uh, with the performance uh, anxiety in golf, uh, it led him to study the neuroscience of human performance and the anxiety response in athletes at uh, Arizona State University. Uh, he completed his bachelor's in biomedical uh, engineering in 2016 and recently completed his Ph.D., Uh, in the same uh, topic, uh, also at ASU. Uh, As part of his research, he developed a um, a non-evasive nerve uh, simulator, a stimulator, excuse me, uh, basically a drug-free technology that reduces performance anxiety in athletes and other individuals uh, who experience moments of high anxiety, including those with clinical conditions like PTSD. So um, whether you're a golfer or not, this is going to be a great discussion tonight. Uh, he's done a lot of research, uh, his team, if you will, uh, and with some of the others at uh, Arizona State University, and he's uh, come up with a, a really great uh, uh, device, and we'll, we'll get a little bit more. It's still uh, in, in uh, some early stages. They're still doing some final testing and so forth, uh, but some of the results that he's going to share tonight uh, have been uh, really quite, uh, quite impressive. And uh, he's obviously, uh, because of his golfing background, uh, wanted to to bring it to the the golfing world, if you will, uh, but he says it's not limited to uh, golf. It can be used for other athletes and other uh, areas of anxiety and and high uh, stress, if you will, uh, like P- uh, PTSD, as I mentioned. So uh, when he comes on, I will uh, I will bring him out. Um, let me just remind everybody uh, again, if you're just tuning into the program a little bit late, uh, if you are interested in a subscription to Golf Tips Magazine, uh, if you go to Golf Tips Mag. Uh, .com, and under the subscription section, you can uh, subscribe to either the print, uh, the print and digital version, and now uh, available is the digital-only version, and you can access that if you go under the print uh, edition uh, section, and if you click on subscribe, you'll see on the form that the option now is available uh, for either a one-year subscription or a two-year subscription uh, for the digital-only version. So if you're somebody that prefers a digital-only version and uh, maybe you like to save a few trees, uh, you can do that now at golftipsmag.com. And uh, we are going to be coming out here in just a few weeks, in fact, a little over a week, uh, the latest edition, which is the special issue or holiday uh, gift guide uh, issue, will be hitting newsstands uh, here in, in about a week's time. I believe October 24th is the date that it will be uh, uh, it will be hitting newsstands in around that date, and uh, you'll be able to get that. In addition to some of the great articles and other tips that are available, um, you will uh, be able to see some great gift ideas for that golfer in your family. So make sure you check it out. Uh, again, subscribe to the magazine. It's a bi-monthly magazine. There's six issues per year. Uh, I'm already myself and and the gang. We're already working on. Uh, the January-February issue, getting all of the articles and tips and so, so forth together. Uh, we're piecing that together. But the, uh, the latest one, is just, uh, which is the holiday gift guide, the 2020 holiday gift guide, that has gone uh, to the printer and uh, should be on its way out to subscribers as well. Uh, they obviously get uh, uh, the, f- the first copies coming out, uh, and then it will hit newsstands in just a little over a week's time. All right, I see that my, my guest is here. I've already... Uh, introduced him, so let me bring on uh, this evening's uh, special guest, the founder of Hulist uh, Performance Technologies, Nicholas Hool. 
Good evening, hey, Nick, and uh, welcome to Golf Talk. Welcome to Golf Talk Live. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. It's cool. All right. Well, I appreciate uh, you taking some time, and that that was perfect timing. I've already uh, done the introduction before you came on to save a little bit of time, so we can uh, talk about uh, you know what you're doing, and and uh, and, and here we are. So let me, um, as I mentioned in your in your bio. Um, you know, obviously, like many of us, uh, you grew up playing uh, competitive golf and uh, ultimately wanted to get out on the PGA Tour and and uh, and battle it out with some of the best out there. And uh, we'll get into some of the specifics there. But uh, just tell us a little bit about cool. uh, your golfing experience growing up as as a youngster. When were you first introduced to the game? And and did you, at a very early age, kind of have aspirations of of you know getting out there and, and getting more involved? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm from, I'm 26 years old. I'm from Tempe, Arizona, and I still currently live in Tempe, Arizona, but Arizona, big, uh, big golf state for junior golfers like myself and just golfers in general. Um, a lot of tour players live out here, but, uh, I grew up, I was, you know, pretty much since I could walk, I was swinging a golf club around. Um, I've got a picture of myself, you know, next to my dad's golf club when I was a little kid, it's taller than I was, and I'm still trying to swing it. Um, so, you know, been a golfer since I was born. Um, never really, I, I, don't, I don't know when I decided I wanted to <clears throat> play competitive, but I, I just remember my favorite thing growing up. There's a driving range in Tempe, Arizona, called um, Shalimar Golf Course, and they mm-hmm. have these old like broken down beater cars out there in the range. And I just thought it was the most (laughs) fun thing in the world to try and hit them. Um, And, you know, they got the golf carts out there picking up the golf balls and they don't seem to mind if the kids try to hit the balls at the guys in the cart. And to me, that was just so fun. (laughs) I I don't know why I had so much fun doing that. Um, And maybe, I don't know, when I was seven, eight years old, started playing in some little kid tournaments at that golf course. Um, and then uh, when I was nine or 10 started winning some of these little local tournaments. And I, I think at that time I'm still too young to really decide if, if like I want to be a golfer. I, I think my parents probably just noticed like, Hey, he's got some talent. Let's put him in some tournaments. Um, and then I won a, a local tournament when I was 14 years old. And then that's kind of when I was, I realized like, oh, this is, I'm actually not bad at this. Maybe I should take this seriously. Um, And so that's, yeah, I I think right when I went into high school, when I was 14, um, 15 years old, that's when I decided I'm going to, you know, give this my best shot and play every day, practice every day and see if I can, you know, go play. And I mean, ultimately the PGA tour, who didn't want to play on the PGA tour when they were growing up, but right. yeah, that's kind of a, a pretty high-level kind of description of my background um, and how I got interested in so, golf. Uh, so let me ask you, obviously, you know, um, that was some of the competition. Did you get into, um, when you got into, you know, further education, did you play on a golf team? Uh, for those that are, you know, tuning into the show, uh, what was your, what was sort of your, your highest level of, of competitiveness that you got into Um and then we'll we'll continue on. Sure. Yeah, I, I did not play in college. I stopped playing right after I graduated high school. 
Um, not necessarily because I wasn't, you know, good enough to play in college. There were plenty of schools I could have gone to play for, but um, I, I guess when I was 16, 16 to 18 years old, that's when I was playing my most competitive golf. Um, I'm sure you're familiar. A lot of people probably are, are familiar with the American Junior Golf Association. Um, that's kind of mm-hmm. like the, you know, the PGA Tour for junior golfers. And I was traveling the country, playing in tournaments, um, you know, never won anything on the AJGA tour, but had some decent finishes and got on the radar of some college coaches. But uh, my ultimate dream, like ever since I was, I I could comprehend what college was, I I always wanted to play at Arizona State University. Uh, You know, guys, Phil Mickelson came out of there, Paul Casey, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, I mean, there were a ton of big name players, you know, John Rahm came out of there. Um, but when I was growing up, I, I thought Phil was awesome. And, you know, of course, Tiger Woods, but, um, just being from Tempe, Arizona state was the dream. Right. And, uh, actually yep. when, when I started talking to college coaches, um, you know, I, I was talking to a handful of them and I got on the ASU coaches radar and he, you know, back in the day, it was, uh, his name was Randy line. He was there. Um, and I was talking with him and he was making me feel good and basically told me I could play on the team and I thought I was set and then something happened, you know, maybe we could dive into this later, but that's kind of when, mm-hmm. you know, the, the serious anxieties started kind of affecting me. Um, you know, my game started suffering a little bit and, um, you know, ultimately that was the reason why I didn't go to college to play competitive golf. Um, not because I wasn't, you know, physically capable of doing it, but, um, the mental side just took its toll, you know, got burned out, was tired of practicing so many hours a day and not, you know, shooting the scores I was capable of shooting and, um, and, and very much, you know, because of the anxieties of, you know, performing at the highest level that was affecting me. Yeah, and I, and that's what I want to talk about now. Uh, you know, I wanted you to kind of lead up to that before we really got into this because this is really an important area. You know, that they're really starting to to talk about more and more in golf for for years and years. You know, we we always you know heard about well the mental game and and that, but people didn't really understand that. Um, you know, we we heard a lot of time uh, you know over the years. You know, people would talk, refer to Nicholas you know about having a a strong mental game, and you know people didn't really understand that. Um, and now in, in more recent years, as, as there's so many um, professionals out there, uh, you know, not just your, your swing coaches and that, but coaches that, that uh, are, are dealing into certain areas. And obviously you're going to get into it a little bit more, but there comes a point in time in a golfer or, in, or any athlete really in their career where they're going to be faced with um, what you would refer to as a performance anxiety. They're out there under the pressures of, of not just competing, uh, but performing uh, at their best because they're trying to win the event or a tournament that they're in or, or even just the day, depending. It could even for a club golfer, maybe playing in a club championship. But at a higher level, those ang- uh, anxieties, and people don't see that. When we see golf on TV, you know, we see, oh, so-and-so hit a bad shot, and that, but we don't know what's really going on inside their head during that. You discovered sure. at that point, as you just pointed out, that you began to struggle. Um, you got, you know, you kind of got burnt out. You You were having you know, performance, uh, anxiety issues in golf, um, and the pressure was sort of mounting and it began to affect your scores. So explain a little bit, if you can, um, as best as you can, 
really what, what started to happen for you? And, and obviously it's different for everybody, but what kind of started happening for you? You were out there and you were really doing good. You were getting on the radar, um, but then suddenly things just kind of, for lack of better words, went south. Talk a little bit about what happened to you in your experience. Sure. Um, yeah, it, it, it is different for everybody, but something I've learned just in the last couple of years or so talking to people is it, it, while it's different, it's, it's almost, it almost affects everybody. <laughs> like almost every golfer right. has experienced performance anxiety like I did. They just don't like to talk about it because it, it, it's like a sign of weakness or, or they feel like it's a sign of weakness. It's like, oh, I was so nervous. Um, you know, but I don't want anyone to know that. But it's like, well, look, everybody gets that nervous. It's it's literally normal. Um, it's just some people have it really bad. Um, and there were some moments for me it was bad. Um, I I think the there's a, there's a few memories that come to mind um, that stick out. And I think just it always started on the first tee. Like first tee jitters was my biggest mm-hmm. thing. And um, you know, if you get off to a bad start in a round, it's it's you know, you can come back, but it's just so frustrating because it's like, oh, here we go again. I'm four over after three holes. I got to come back again. Um, Typically, you know, the first time I I remember this happened, I was in Florida playing a, a, you know, collegiate, a a large uh, junior tournament at PGA National, which alone, that's a tough golf course. But, um, you know, just the stage of it was pretty, pretty big tournament. And, you know, I'm, felt great had a great practice round um and the next day you know they feeling good feeling normal had a good warm-up session um they call my name walk up to the first tee and i don't know like what happened i just remember like i don't want to say i blacked out but i like was just like where am i like what am i doing and i just thought oh shoot i've been up here i I may have been up here just standing on the tee box for like five minutes i should probably swing and hit my golf ball and you know it was such a bad feeling. I could care less where the ball went. I was like, let's just get off this tee. Um, and things like that started happening, you know, a little more often and it would result in, you know, I'd literally the amount of balls I'd hit out of bounds on like the first tee shot, you know, in rounds, it, it's hard to count, but man, when you do that consistently over time in tournaments, it is so demoralizing after a while. You're like, wow, what, what am I going to do today off the first few holes? Um, and, and that's just the kind of mental side of it, you know, and it, it's, it, it, it doesn't mean that I forgot how to hit a golf ball. It's just, you know, when you're nervous for some reason, it, you, I, it's hard to, it's hard for me to say why I got that nervous. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't have those problems. You know, I'd go out and I could shoot in sixties, you know, any, any day, but you know, my later in my career, uh, when I was in high school, just something about, maybe thinking about my future, you know, I'd get anxious and, Mm -hmm. you know, the first tee jitters, that was definitely the most physical kind of anxiety I could feel, you know, like, you know, shoulders are tense, my heart's beating out of my chest, things like that. Um, But it would last, you know, into the round as well. In the middle of the round, you know, maybe you, maybe you, you're coming back, Mm -hmm. you bomb a tee shot on a par five, got a short iron into the green thinking, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to make an Eagle here and, and bounce back. All of a sudden it's like, Oh shoot. I'm all nervous all of a sudden because like I've got a chance to come back and then it's everything goes south mm-hmm. again. Um, so it, it, just little things like that. I mean, it, it's, it's hard to explain where it comes from, but it's, it's not uncommon at all, you know, it, for a lot of people to feel that way. 
Um, <clears throat> yeah, and and you know, and 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 Nick, the reason why I wanted you to really talk about that is because you know, as you said, it affects everybody, obviously different degrees and some worse than others, but every golfer struggles, uh, particularly with first tee, even the best of the best will tell you uh, in a tournament, especially if they've had a few weeks off, they're stepping up for the first time, uh, maybe in a few weeks. Um, and especially now with this season with, with COVID and tournaments, you know, being a little more scarce for a while, um, you know, these guys have got to come back out and, you know, the one saving grace is they didn't have uh, as big of a crowd um, out there. So they were able to kind of ease back into it. Um, but, you know, those first tee jitters happen for everybody. But there's a lot of, I'm sure, uh, college players and junior players that might be listening or their parents might be listening. And they know uh, or they've spoken to um, that junior player or maybe a, a, one of our golf coaches that, that um, was on earlier maybe has a student that's experiencing the same thing. So this is why, you know, what we're going to talk about tonight is so important because it is very common um, and it is something that I think that a lot of people misunderstand. And it's something that we're still continuing to learn about uh, in, in all aspects of sport, but it, particularly in golf uh, that we're going to talk about tonight. And I want you to explain, because typically when we hear of, of somebody that's having some sort of anxiety or, or stress or however you want to uh, phrase it, and this is something that a path that you actually went down, um, you know, as I mentioned in, in the opening uh, bio that you went on. And I want you to maybe explain a little bit about that. Uh, when you were very young, uh, in fact, 16, um, it was thought that, well, we'll prescribe some anxiety medication. This will help sort of balance things out. Um, you obviously didn't have a great experience and actually stopped it relatively quickly after doing it uh, because of some negative side effects. Touch on a little bit about that, and then I think what we'll do is, is after you've explained a little bit about that process, uh, we'll be able to get a lead into to what it is that you're doing and a solution that you feel you're well in the way of, of coming to, to help uh, folks uh, overcome some of these issues that we're talking about. Okay, sure, yeah. Um, so when I was 16 years old, I was... I'm trying to think when exactly. It was in the summer um, when I was 16. I, I played a round of golf with a guy named uh, Jeff Finrapphorse. I'm not sure if you've heard of that name, but he was the quarterback in the 80s at Arizona State when they won the Rose Bowl um, and mm-hmm. played a round of golf with him. And he noticed that, you know, I was I had a lot of talent, but I something mental, you know, was affecting me. I was lacking the mental focus. And he actually – sent me to his sports psychiatrist that he used when he was in college who helped him mentally prepare to win the Rose Bowl. And I went and saw the psychiatrist, and um, it was mostly about how to train yourself to visualize, you know, yourself out there hitting perfect golf shots, you know, how you should be breathing properly when you're in pressure situations. Um, But, it, and that training is invaluable. It's, it's so important to practice, you know, visualization training. Um, and I, I can talk mm-hmm. about that at some point too, if you want, uh, or why that's important. But as a psychiatrist, he also is able to prescribe medications. And um, he, when, you know, when I was telling him about my experiences, you know, 
almost blacking out on a tee box or like my heart is beating out of my chest. Um, you know, that's a, that's a very common thing for a lot of athletes. And uh, I'm not, I still to this day don't know why he prescribed me this, but he, he prescribed me a beta blocker, um, which is mm. extremely effective at keeping your heart rate low uh, when you're in those pressure situations, but also a reason why it's a banned substance. And I believe at least in the um, collegiate, uh, performance levels or competitive levels and above. Um, but I, I took those for, you know, before a couple tournaments and it worked so well on the first tee. I mean, I didn't feel a thing on the first tee and it was amazing. And I was like, wow, that's, that's great. I got off the first tee feeling good, you know, started, you know, start my rounds off pretty well, but noticed like I was dead tired you know, after nine holes. And I'm just like, man, what is up with this? Like, I'm just like, I don't feel energized at all. Um, and that's a side effect of it, right? Like that's a very common side effect. Mm-hmm. People feel very drowsy, very sleepy. Um, and it, who knows, it could have been, I took too much of it or something, but um, all I know is it was never meant to be a long-term solution anyway. Um, you know, they're not good for your health if you're on them consistently for even a few months at a time. Um, but that experience, you know, understanding that, wow, if I could at least just get my physical symptoms under control, I can go play this game the way I know I can play it. Um, and that, that really did like, you know, spike my curiosity into what drug free methods and devices or technologies are out there that can, you know, help keep the physical symptoms low. Because I knew, you know, we're never going to ultimately get rid of nerves or, you know, people mm-hmm. being nervous. We're not going to be able to take away the the grand, you know, nature of being in a tournament or being in a, you know, a position to win a tournament. We can at least keep the physical symptoms under control because for a lot of people, when your heart is pounding out of your chest and your, your muscles are so tense, you can't make emotion you know you can't expect to hit a golf ball the way you should be able to um and i would i would argue that like you know yeah tiger woods always said he was super nervous when he would you know had putts to win tournaments but it was never so bad where his like whole body would just freeze up right um right and that that's kind of the the extreme side of of the performance anxiety that i wanted to to study and understand and to see if we could reduce those things without medication um, and you you went on to and that's why you know i wanted you to to, to mention that and, and again i i don't want to you know we're, we're not here to dispel any medical advice or anything of that nature uh you know if you're if your doctor has prescribed you something uh you know i don't want you to su- suddenly to stop take it so for anybody listening out there um i'm not suggesting it i this is just strictly um i wanted nick to share his experience um and and what really in effect, led him to this next stage, and that was uh, to really study, uh, you know, the neuroscience of, of human performance and, and anxiety uh, responses in, in athletes. And you did that at, at ASU, and and uh, as I mentioned, and you uh, received a bachelor uh, degree in uh, uh, biomedical engineering, and also uh, recently just uh, completed your uh, PhD in the same at ASU. So. This actually led you to want to study things a little bit more. So through your studies um, and and through your education on this very area, what were some of the things that you had learned about the brain particularly and what function it plays 
uh, in regards to, to golf uh, and, and other athletic performance or anxieties that you sort of discover uh, were happening and why they were happening? Sure. Um, I, so my studies when I um, was at school, my, my first four years, I always, when I was in my undergrad, I always knew I wanted at some point to get into, you know, device development or, or mostly a device development, something that would interface with the brain that would essentially, you know, turn off the anxiety response or turn on your relaxation response. And it, it didn't, it really took me, you know, the whole four years to really understand what technologies are out there. Um, so, there wasn't a whole lot of, um, you know, I, I didn't really study the brain from a, uh, you know, like neuroanatomy or anything like that. I, I was more so focused on um, a technology or, or a method called neuromodulation, which is just any, you know, technology or any method that modulates brain activity. So just, you know, a, a way of changing how the brain is working or firing and, well, some of the technologies I was looking into, um, you know, you've got uh, the, one of the a popular method called transcranial magnetic stimulation, where you put a, a magnetic coil up to your head and you send in these magnetic, you know, impulses and the magnetic waves cause the neurons in your brain, which, you know, they communicate via electricity to communicate with each other. You know, you can either you know, increase brain communication with this technology, or you can actually cause neurons to stop firing if you want to with this technology. So in a sense, you know, things like that, I thought, well, what if we could locate where anxiety originates in your brain and just shut it off for like five minutes? Like how awesome would that be? Um, and it's, you know, it's a simple thought, but, turns out the brain is extremely complicated and anxiety is not quite localized to one area. Um, it, it, there's a ton of factors that, that influence how, you know, anxious you feel in a certain moment. Um, I know one particular brain structure called the amygdala is what controls your fear response. So anytime, you know, you're in a state of uh, fight or flight, you know, you, you see a lot of activity in the amygdala because that's what um, kind of activates your fear response. Um, and so the thought was, well, maybe we can shoot some electromagnetic waves into your amygdala and turn it off right before you step up to the first tee. Like, how awesome would that be? Um, but mm -hmm. turns out the technology is extremely complicated. It's not portable at all. You know, these magnetic stimulators take up you know, a, a room, they're like the size of a computer, a refrigerator. Um, and, you know, it's just not practical. There's other methods, you know, you could use ultrasonic, uh, you know, energy to, you know, you send in ultrasound waves into your brain um, to modulate brain activity. Um, but the, the method that I decided I would use is a, is a method called uh, vagus nerve stimulation. And so the vagus nerve is part of, you know, it, it, the, you know, the automatic nervous system. It, it's, um, you know, it's a nerve just like um, your brain is, is made up of a bunch of nerves or uh, neurons. And so the vagus nerve is part of that um, nervous system that's made up 
of neurons that directly communicates with your brain. And the vagus nerve specifically controls um, what's called the, the parasympathetic and the sympathetic response. So parasympathetic being your um, kind of rest and digest state, while your sympathetic is that fight or flight response. So when you're in that state of high anxiety, uh, your sympathetic is very active. And there's a lot of studies that have shown how the vagus nerve, when it's electrically stimulated artificially, that it reduces sympathetic activity. Um, and as a result, you see things like heart rate um, come down, blood pressure comes down, muscle tension comes down. Um, and really, all the symptoms that I was experiencing when I was in a state of you know, performance anxiety, it seemed that vagus nerve stimulation was, you know, having a positive effect on reducing those symptoms. And so that was the technology I decided I was going to focus on in my PhD, um, especially because it's a very simple te technology, honestly. The, there's branches of the vagus nerve that are um, superficial to the skin around your ear and in your neck that you don't have to have any implant. Um, you can access them just by simply pressing an electrode against your neck or in your ear, and you just send little electrical impulses, and these electrical impulses activate the vagus nerve. And as a result, uh, we see the uh, physiological effects of, you know, vagus nerve stimulation. We, we see, you know, immediate reductions in heart rate. Um, it, we've seen in my golf studies that I performed with the technology, we saw um, muscle tension was reduced in the shoulders, which was really interesting. Uh, we've seen, uh, you know, just changes in, in heart rate, heart rate variability, um, EEG activity, blood pressure, um, things like that. And so to me, you know, I, I wouldn't quite say I'm, I'm, a, I'm an all-out neuroscientist. There's still so much I need to learn about the brain and how it works. But um, I... I really zeroed in on this one particular technology of vagus nerve stimulation. And my, my specific focus was to design it so that it was easy to use and comfortable for athletes and everyday people um, that are just looking for drug-free acute anxiety relief. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, well, <laughs> hopefully that answered your question, but. Yeah, no, that was perfect. You know, and, and Nick, I just want to point something out here just to go back a, a little bit because, um, you know, what I find very intriguing about this, and, and again, I'm not, you know, trying to discount uh, anything else out there, but, you know, as you pointed out, one of the problems that you found with medications particularly is it worked great up front, but one of the side effects was that it, it actually worked too well to the point that at a, after a certain period of time, you became, for lack of better words, lethargic and not really as responsive. So, you know, it was great for the front nine, but the back nine, you, you, you know, Nick, Nick was sort of MIA, if you will, uh, in, in layman's terms. So if I understand what you're talking about, this technology, you've created a, a device um, as you're, you're leading up here uh, in the discussion that is essentially going to do the things that need to be done. This is what the studies have shown um, with the vagus nerve and being able to turn off, if you will, or stimulate, for, better, for lack of better words, 
um, that nerve, which ultimately is going to, um, I guess, sort of squelch some of the um, anxiety and 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 uh, nervousness. Again, however you want to phrase it, uh, for the average golfer, without having those same side effects. So, in other words, you're going to be able to accomplish what you need to accomplish, but you're not going to have an issue where, you know, whether a medication or some other uh, performance uh, stimulant is causing you at some point to kind of uh, almost come down a little bit. And, and now suddenly you're not able to perform at all, um, let alone be anxious about it. Um, am I understanding that? Am I clarifying that correctly? Or Yeah, that's pretty much spot on. Um, the, the interesting thing about Vegas nerve stimulation, uh, well, really the technology, it's the same thing as a TENS unit or transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation. Um, so there's, if you're familiar with like e-stim or any type of tens unit, it's it's been around for you know maybe 40ish years or so where you can place electrodes on your skin. So you typically on your back, and it just applies electrical impulses um, to you know help treat pain. So our device uses the same technology. We just redesigned it um, to have a, a much simpler and more comfortable experience. Um, but the, the cool thing about this technology is there's there's no side effects. Um, you know, the, the worst side effect you'll get is some skin irritation where you've applied the electricity. Um, but that, you know, mm-hmm. lasts 10, 15 minutes at the latest. Um, you know, if, if you were to use this device and it, it were to have a serious effect on you where, say, your heart rate um, dropped below baseline and maybe some other physiological symptoms um, were reduced – if you stood up and, and um, did some jumping jacks or some push-ups, you'd be you'd be right back to normal. Um, there's because we're not introducing, you know, a foreign artificial substance into your body that's having a long-lasting effect. We're simply turning on, uh, you know, a process that's already you know part of your body, and then once you take it off, it. it it doesn't have lasting effects really beyond 20, 30 minutes um, when you remove it. Unlike a drug, you got to wait for it to clear your, clear throughout your whole system, which takes, you know, up to four hours usually. Um, so let me, let me, let me ask you about the device itself. So I'm assuming obviously it's, it's fairly compact. You know, you're not lugging, you know, uh, a, a huge machine out to the golf course. So it's something fairly compact, I'm assuming. And when typically if, if, you know, we're, if a golfer has which again, as we we've talked about earlier on, um, we all experience different levels of, of performance anxiety in that. If a golfer was, let's say, pe- playing in a tournament, let's use a PGA uh, Tour player or an LPGA Tour player, uh, and they had an event coming up, um, you know, for this weekend, is this something that they would, you know, uh, typically do before they they head out for their round, and how far ahead typically? you know, would you recommend is, has that been sort of, you know, worked out yet? And, and how long is the process? Is it something that just, you know, it's a few seconds, it's a few moments, or it's an hour uh, process. Just give us some, some general uh, guideline. Sure. Um, So the device is portable. It fits in your hand. Um, I I don't want to talk too much about how it works just because we're, we're still pursuing, we're still in the clinical phase and um, you know, we're, we're not, quite able to make any specific claims just yet about it until we get FDA clearance. But um, the it, it's designed, you know, to be portable, to be taken with you. Um, and 
for for an athlete, or let's just say golfers, for example, um, I know you're not allowed to use electronic devices during a round, so you wouldn't be able to use this in a tournament. Um, but you mm-hmm. can use it all the way up to right before you tee off. So considering how it's not, you know, going to have, you know, beyond 30 minutes of lasting effect, ideally what you would do is if you do struggle with first tee jitters, the best use case would be, you know, use it as close to when you tee off as possible. Um, But it's also something that, you know, you don't necessarily want to be like walking around while you're using it, um, you know, because of, like you want to let the device do its work. So ideally, you know, maybe find a quiet space, sit in a chair or a couch or something and just use it for five to 10 minutes, depending on how long you you feel you need it. And then, you know, hopefully do that, you know, five to 10 minutes before you tee off and go tee off. And it should at least help you get off the first tee and, and get through the first hole without any serious, you know, performance anxiety. Um, and for a lot of people, it, that's all it takes, you know, just get off the first tee, get, get through the first hole and mm-hmm. you can get your round going and get into a groove. Um, and everyone knows, you know, all it takes is one bad starting hole to ruin your round. If you make double, triple bogey, it's like, oh, great. You know, now I got to fight back for the entire round, um, which is, you know, it happens a lot and you see it a lot, but when you're experiencing a double or a triple bogey on your first hole all the time, man, that's, it's mentally draining. It's like, Oh, here we go again. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. as close to the first, well, thing, and, or, or right before you do something is ideal. Yeah. And, and, and obviously like anything, you know, you, you can't be used as you said, uh, during the tournament itself, but, uh, you're exactly right. You know, you, you talked about earlier in your own, uh, circumstances where, you know, getting off to a bad start for you was, was uh, difficult because it, it would tend to perpetuate uh, as the round went on. You know, you know, the first hole was bad. Now the second hole is bad. You've now you've got double anxiety because you, the first couple of holes are bad, and, and it just it just starts to to build momentum from there. So you know, you're right to to get somebody uh, ideally to get somebody in a position where they're you know, sort of eliminating that first tee jitters and getting off to a good start is going to build calm. That doesn't mean you're never going to have bad shots or you're not going to have a, ever have a bad round again. That's not the purpose. The purpose is obviously to reduce the anxiety levels and the performance uh, levels, if you will, to such that kind of gives yourself a, a fighting chance, if you will, for lack of better words. Um, now, and, and as you mentioned, and, and I'm glad that you brought it up, I was going to bring it up, but um, this is something that you're obviously working right now full time to get FDA clearance uh, through your um, uh, uh, Hulas Performance Technologies, your company, and yeah. um, you're obviously ultimately wanting to. Uh, which I found really interesting is obviously you know we're talking about golf and and you know based on your experience in golf, this is something that you would like to uh, be able to apply, uh, particularly to competitive golfers. Uh, but ultimately, you know, everyday golfers that uh, that struggle with that at their at their home course uh, would, would benefit from it. Um, but it's also something that you can see in application um, with other clinical conditions, uh, including uh, ones like uh, PTSD, as an example. Maybe touch on that a little bit as well. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, golf's definitely my passion, and and human performance in general is something I'm 
I've always been interested in, you know, how can we maximize human performance, you know, from a mental standpoint, from a brain optimization standpoint. Um, but, you know, when I was designing this device, it, it originally, at least in my PhD research, it, it was specific to golf and athlete performance. But now that I'm done with my program, um, you know, it, it, it sounds bad, but there's not really a, a business in just solving first tee jitters, right? This goes right. beyond, right. you know, just athletes sure. with anxiety. I mean, if this really works, there's millions of people out there that could benefit from this somehow. And that's what I'm doing full time right now is we've, we've stopped pursuing so much the athletic, uh, I guess, anxiety data. Uh, we will, We'll, I mean, I will always be in that space somehow, some way. Um, but in the very beginning stages, we have to be very clinical if we want to convince the FDA that this is a medical device. So we're, we're focused mm. on, you know, clinical anxiety populations such as PTSD. And mm. on our website, we actually have a, a video um, a couple of years ago. ESPN came out. They heard about our research we were doing at ASU. And they came out and they uh, featured us in one of their 30 for 30 um, documentaries that was uh, specifically focused on, you know, the mental side of human performance and what's the future look like and things like that. And in that episode, um, one of my, a friend that I made kind of in this whole process, he's a, um, an ex-military veteran who served some time overseas and had some you know, pretty intense, uh, you know, encounters out there that um, left him with PTSD. And mm -hmm. he's also a golfer. And golf has kind of been his thing to treat his PTSD. And him and I connected, played some golf, and he's been using my device. And um, he was the featured guy in our ESPN episode, if, if uh, you or anybody listening ever wants to go check that out. Um, but it's just cool to see that. So in that episode, the, they kind of documented his use of it. You know, he would use it when he'd go out and play. Um, he was competing in this putting tournament as part of the episode. Um, so he would use the device during the tournament, but also just talked about how in general, you know, in his everyday life, when his, um, you know, PTSD would kick in and he'd have these anxiety, almost like anxiety attacks. You know, he would use the device, and it, it would give him relief, like right when he needed it. Um, and, the, right. of course, I don't want to give any medical advice here, but one of our goals is we want to stop it right when it's about to happen so that you don't have to take your medication, ultimately. Um, now, I will never tell anyone stop taking your medication until, you know, we have clear evidence that it works. But But even then, it's like, medication works for a lot of people a lot of people need it um, but a lot of people don't mm -hmm. need it and, and they might want to try something before you know medication and this is a great you know alternative to try as, as a first line um, especially those that have severe conditions like PTSD or um, you know other other disorders well you know it's exciting Nick because I look at it this way you know, you know, going back to golf for a second, I can remember over the years, 
um, you know, a few golfers, one particular that came to mind, um, and I'm sure you're familiar with them, but uh, Ian Baker Finch, you know, talked about some of the anxieties and the pressure that he felt. And of course, he was a, a tour winner and, and played on the PGA Tour for a number of times. And he ultimately ended up, you know, getting out of golf. And of course, now he's, you know, you, you'll find him, um, you know, in the announcer's booth on, on some of the tournaments uh, when, you know, when his network is, is picking it up. But, you know, he was one of the examples I remember, you know, all of a sudden, you know, he was uh, pretty young still. I think he was in his early 40s, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and suddenly, you know, he stopped playing the game. And I was kind of scratching my head because I used to follow him, you know, when he was playing on the PGA Tour. And, and I always thought he was a good player and great ball striker and all, you know, all the rest. And suddenly he stopped playing. And he said, you know, he started developing, much like you talked about, a, a lot of anxiety uh, and, you know, parts of his game is putting, for instance, uh, you know, really let him down. And, you know, we always joke and say he had the yips and, and all that kind of stuff. But the truth of the matter is what it really was is he was starting to have anxiety and it got the better of him. And at that time, yeah. there wasn't really a lot of medication. There wasn't even a lot of medications on the market at that point. It was still very new. And, uh, you know, ultimately he, he stopped, uh, you know, uh, you know, playing on the tour. Um, so, you know, it, it, again, Obviously, you're you're pursuing a much bigger goal than just golf, um, but it's it's something that I think that again a lot of uh, golfers struggle with. And uh, again, just to, to add again a disclaimer for for those listening, we're certainly by no means suggesting that you suddenly stop paying, uh, you know, taking medications uh, if you're on them, and uh, you should always consult with your physician before you do anything. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think this is a great product, uh, if you will, a device that you're, uh, trying to introduce to the market. And I understand, you know, from discussions that you and I have had before, uh, again, obviously part of it to, to go through the FDA clearance and that, um, that you're actually putting together some, uh, trials, I guess you would call them, uh, uh, where you're going to actually allow people to, uh, sort of experiment is that it's still in process and if so can you update us on that sure um we yeah so it's going to take a, quite a bit of clinical research and um, data collection in order to convince the fda that you know this is a safe and effective device um we we know it's a safe and effective device but you know the fda they they have such high standards that it just takes you know, years to get these things cleared and approved. Um, but we, we've we performed a couple, you know, studies, and, and right now we're in the middle of one study uh, where people that are in the Phoenix area can come to our lab and use the device as part of a, um, a clinical study. It takes about an hour. There are certain tasks they have to do as part of the study, and then we give them the treatment uh, or, the you know, they use the device for, you know, 10 minutes and then they do another task, and we just kind of measure their performance before and after. Um, and so that's right now that's the best way for people if they want to try the device. Uh, we are right now it, it takes it's taking a lot longer than I originally anticipated, but we are planning right. a larger clinical trial at the moment that will be uh, multi-center, you know, across the country. Uh, we're, mm -hmm. we're we've been talking to a lot of different clinics and hospitals and um, you know health health organizations to try to decide what is the best location to run this trial um, that will give us access to the patients that need this most. Um, and, 
it's complicated, man. It's not it's not as simple as just making a phone <laughs> call and saying, Hey, are you interested? Yeah, I'm interested. It's like there's so much money involved and um, regulation involved and it's it's challenging mostly you know because we're a small startup right it's really just me working on this and we've got advisors and i've got another team of engineers but um it's it's just a process man it takes time and, and we want to do it right you know we, we don't want to just rush this thing to market we want to make sure that we have the right data and that it is safe and um, that it is going to work for the people that we market to when we're ready to get there. But, um, you know, it just takes time. So, Yeah. And, and, and again, you know, we want, uh, again, the reason I, I really wanted to, to have you on the show is because I, I find it very interesting what you're, what you're proposing here um, with this device, because again, in, in being in the golf industry and, and knowing so many people as well in the industry, uh, this is a big thing. Um, you know, this is uh, anxiety. Performance anxiety is a huge, huge thing in all walks of life, not just in golf, of course. Um, and, you know, sometimes some of the alternatives and you've studied, uh, I'm sure, many of them, uh, including, um, you know, drugs and so forth and, and other, uh, you know, uh, perhaps medical devices um, to sort of test the waters a little bit. Um, but this is a, a, a huge issue in, in really all walks of life. So for you to be able to come up, and, and especially in this day and age where, um, you know, you're not hooking people up to, you know, a, a major machine or something, and, and to be able to have it in basically in the, in the palm of your hand and be able to help um, with some of these issues is is really um, is really potentially a breakthrough. And um, uh, you know, I think it's going to be very very. Uh, successful and again, I you know as you pointed out, it's it's a it's a process and it's a lengthy process. But I think uh, you know um, athletes and 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 obviously professional golfers and ultimately even the recreational golfers uh, uh, very likely are going to benefit um, from you know your studies and and your uh, uh, you know all of the trials and so forth that you're going through uh, once it gets to market. But I thought it was worth sharing because. Uh, again, the mental side of the game has become really in the forefront uh, now of golf. Um, you know, for so long we, you know, we focused on the swing and and all these different swing theories and getting everybody getting the pitcher perfect golf swing. But now, you know, they're realizing that, you know, certainly you got to have a, a general understanding and, and a competence with with the fundamentals. But the truth of the matter is, it's what's going on in the six inches between your ears. Uh, you know, dictates whether you're going to be successful out in the golf course. And you found that out firsthand in your experience playing golf at a competitive level and recognized that, hey, th- something, you know, needs to, to happen here. And you've put forth the effort to do that. And, and I give you uh, high marks for, for doing that. Um, even though you don't need them, you've got a PhD. But um, nevertheless, I think you've done a, a, some great, uh, interesting work here. And and uh, I think you're you're onto something. And um I think it's great. So, Nick, as we, we kind of um, get uh, here to wrap up, because I know it's very difficult. You know, we don't have the product here. And, and uh, again, you, you have to be careful because of, uh, uh, you know, it's it's not uh, per, uh, at this point FDA approved. Um, but if people want to learn more and maybe get more information, um, can they go to your website to maybe see the video, as you mentioned earlier, and maybe get more information? And, and also if they want to reach out to you, if they're interested in learning more about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just, you know, quickly, I don't want to 
get people overly excited about anything. You know, this device is not going <laughs> to solve all of their anxiety problems, right? It's anxiety is something right. that, you know, it, it's we don't really know, like, what causes it. it. It's more of a symptom of some other thing. Um, and it's it's always going to be around, but um, it, the way that I kind of see this is it's a, it's a great tool to have. Um, I don't necessarily think this will really ever replace, you know, other tools like mindfulness and meditation, visualization, um, you know, talking mm-hmm. to a therapist, talk therapy is great. Um, and even medication, right? Some people just need medication. Um, but, you know, it, it's just a great tool to have for a lot of people when they just, when they need quick, you know, drug-free anxiety relief. Um, and regarding, you know, golf, golf performance, you know, again, it's, it's not going to make you, you know, the best golfer you, you possibly can be just by using the device. You know, you still got to go out and practice. Right. You got to put in all your hours. Right. Um, and that's, <laughs> you know, that's, that's another thing that I learned about the brain is how the brain processes information. You know, there, there's a lot of interesting thoughts I've developed recently about how we can optimize our practice routine rather than just, you know, going out there and, just working on the thing we need to work on um, and, you know, talking positive thoughts to yourself. It's like, well, there, we can really optimize it. Um, and, and especially when you have, you know, technologies like mine that interface with the brain, we can, we can, you know, make your practice sessions even better. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of work that a lot of, a lot of work we still have to do before we really figure everything out, but it's an exciting future, no doubt. Um, going to be a lot of interesting things coming but regarding my device and what we're working on yeah you can go to my website um, whoolistpt.com that's h-o-o-l-e-s-t pt.com whoolist performance technologies um, and yeah really the best way is just fill out the form on our website the form goes directly to my email um, and then I, I just email people that are interested um, and just not want to have a conversation or something. So that's, yeah, that, that's the best way to learn more. Perfect. Well, and I, I think Nick, it's, it's a, you know, as I've said uh, a number of times, I think it's a very interesting technology that you've been working on. And uh, I think that, you know, once it, it, you know, it, it, you know, the adjustments and modifications and whatnot and, and goes through the process and and does get to market. I think it 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 sounds like it's going to be very very helpful for a lot of people. And as you pointed out, and uh, you know, a sort of additional disclaimer, it's it's you know, it's not going to be the you know the magic sauce that's suddenly going to give you a, a you know a scratch handicap. Uh, you know, you've still got to go put the work in. But this may alleviate um, for for the average golfer and obviously for competitive golfers uh, a little bit of that that you know anxiety edge, if you will, um, sort of you know, level that out a little bit better to, to make it. And, and, you know, it may be something that, that works in conjunction with, uh, you know, some sort of a, a protocol or, or even a, a program um, where, you know, it, it works in conjunction with your product as well. So it's going to be interesting to see how, how it unfolds as the future goes on. And I hope that you'll keep me uh, abreast, if you will. And, and also if, if anybody is interested, um, you know, I'm assuming, if uh, you know, as the trials and and whatnot, or as uh, some of the the testing continues on, uh, and if people are are interested or want to become involved, you'll make that a- available on your website as well. If people want to reach out and 
and uh, you know maybe participate or, or what have you. But um, uh, Nick, I, I want to thank you very much for coming on. It's been an interesting discussion, and I've learned a lot. And I think you're you're onto something here. And, and again, I know it's a little ways away yet, and and we're not quite there. But I think um, you, you've got something here that that could benefit uh, a lot of people, not just golfers. I, I hope so. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I know I one day want to use this thing, get back out on the golf course and compete again. We'll see see if I can use this to my advantage. But, um, yeah, I, I really appreciate you uh, inviting me on here. This is, this is fun. Um, never done one of these shows before, so I'm excited to do this for the first time and talk about a, talk about golf. And, you know, maybe one day we can do it again in the future. Well, um Keep me, like I said, keep me abreast of, of as things progress, and and I will definitely, you know, have you on, uh, you know, once things have moved along a little further, and you can give us, uh, you know, maybe share some exciting news uh, as as we progress along, and and uh, yeah, I, I think it's great. I, you know, again, I, I can't emphasize enough. Um, you know, it, you know, we're not trying to suggest that this is the cure or anything, but uh, it's certainly one more piece of the puzzle that can certainly maybe. Uh, open the doors a little bit more for for people and and dealing with some of the performance anxieties that they're experiencing and it's certainly exciting uh, in the early stages to hear about it so I'm glad that you came on and shared it with my audience tonight and um, I hope they'll go and uh, check out uh, your website again it's the holistpt.com it's h-o-o-l-e-s-t-p-t dot com and there's a form at the bottom that you can if you want to get more information or if you want to reach out to Nick uh, and learn more about it you can fill out that form and he'll uh, as he said, he'll get back to you. But, Nick, thank you very much for uh, joining me tonight on, on Golf Talk Live. And, and please uh, stay in touch and let me know as things progress. Uh, I'll be more than happy to have you come back on when you're ready to share some more news. Awesome. Yep. Thanks a lot, Ted. Really appreciate it. Uh, all right. Have a great uh, rest of your week and great weekend. And uh, keep me posted. Thanks. Will do. All right. Thanks, Nick. Bye-bye. All right, that was uh, my very special guest, Nick Hool, uh, founder of Hoolist Performance Technologies. And uh, as, as we've been discussing here f- uh, for the last uh, almost an hour, uh, talking about a new technology that he uh, studied and, and has really been working on since uh, attending uh, Arizona State University and has already had organizations like ESPN reach out, uh, expressing some interest and was featured in, in a, a video, which you can get on his website. You can go and check it out there and, and hopefully learn a little bit more. And uh, we'll certainly have Nick back on in the future show uh, as things, as I mentioned, as things progress and, and he gets a little bit more and, uh, in, involved and, and things come to, uh, you know, to, uh, to a head, if you will. But um, I want to thank uh, uh, also the gang on uh, the earlier uh, round of the Coach's Corner panel, John Decker, Peter Egazarian, and Alex Fisher. Thanks, guys, for uh, always uh, bringing your best to the panel discussions. I appreciate it very much. And once again, a special thanks to this evening's guest, Nick Hool, uh, from the Hoolist Performance Technologies. Uh, thanks, guys, and uh, thank you for tuning in and making Golf Talk Live uh, a successful show. And I appreciate all of your uh, well wishes and all of your continued support. So on that note, have a great week, everybody. God bless. Stay safe. And I'll see you next time right here on Golf Talk Live. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to this evening's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Remember to tune in each week at blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live. If you can't join us live, check out the on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts. Or listen on any of the following social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, 
TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course, Spotify. To get updates on future shows and upcoming guests, be sure to visit the show's Facebook page, Golf Talk Live Blog. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. Remember to join me live each week for another great broadcast of Golf Talk Live. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.